In the fall of 2016, I was living in Little Rock. I was interning at Emmanuel Baptist Church there. I was dating a beautiful woman named Julie, who's now my wife. She's here in the room, by the way. Um, I was dating her, and we were, um, I was preparing to go to seminary, getting some good ministry experience. She was finishing up college in East Tennessee at Lee University, so our dates were online. We were dating long distance. One fall afternoon, we were doing our usual Skype date at the end of the day, talking about our days with one another, when all of a sudden I felt an odd sensation. I sat up, and everything went black. When I regained consciousness, I was being loaded into an ambulance. What I learned later is that I'd had a massive seizure. Julie had seen it, called 911. I was taken to the hospital where the doctor came into my hospital room and he told me that I had what is called a cavernous malformation. Say that three times. No, just kidding. I had a cavernous malformation in my head that was bleeding all over my brain. It had to come out, and the doctor told me in that moment, he said, we don't know what this is going to do. We don't know the repercussions of this surgery, but it's risky. I had the surgery. It was successful, so praise be to God for that. But I spent about a week in the hospital and was sent home. Julie came to help my parents take care of me. And up until that point, church, my faith, my, faith, my trust in God, my, my positivity was high. I thought, a couple weeks of rest and I'll be back at my job in Little Rock. I'll be back interning, getting ready to pursue a career in ministry I'll be back to doing what God wants me to do. Well, two weeks came, and two weeks went, and then another two weeks came, and another two weeks went, and then another two weeks, and then another two weeks. My strength didn't return fast enough, so I had to give up my internship in Little Rock. I felt alone. I could barely walk to the bathroom and back. I had so little strength, and it wasn't coming back. It became clear that this suffering this, this trial was going to last a long time. The future became blurry. Sadness set in. Fear of another seizure or a complication from the surgery gripped me constantly. I had anxiety and panic attacks. I felt ashamed and guilty because I felt like I had been and was a burden to everyone in Little Rock and around me. I felt alone and above all, I didn't understand God in the moment. My thoughts were very not generous toward God. God, you've called me to ministry. Why, are, why is all this happening? Why can I not do what you've called me to do? See, church, in that moment, I realized that I, what I've learned from that moment in my life is that I was not prepared to suffer, especially indefinitely, like in that moment. And many of you, maybe all of you can relate to that feeling, that feeling that you're going through life and things are going well and you know, life is good and your plan is working out and then all of a sudden a curveball gets thrown at you and it's not something you expect and all of a sudden everything becomes disoriented in your life. Your life takes an unexpected and hard turn. Something happens that you didn't ask for and you don't like. You get fired. Your marriage falls apart. Your child dies. You get a bad diagnosis from the doctor. A friend tells you that they want nothing to do with you. So many different things. Church, what do we do when those things happen in our life? That is the question we are answering this morning. How do we suffer well? Because here's the reality. Peter is going to help us answer that. If you've been with us in this book, of First Peter, we've been going through and seeing how Peter, you know, Peter is this great, great, um, great follower of Jesus, great man, and he, what he's doing is he's writing, he's written this letter, and he's written it to a group of Christians living in a non-Christian culture, and he's telling them, hey, this is how you live 
as a Christian. This is how you live the Christian life in a non-Christian culture. And if you, re- if you were uh, paying attention when we read the scripture, you heard um, that in today's passage, Peter is talking about suffering. How do we suffer well? And it's important to know that um, Peter is talking specifically about persecution, like suffering that comes from being persecuted. But to be honest, we're not in the same situation that Peter's audience is. But the principles that he gives apply to our general sufferings in life. And he gives three points that we can learn from and apply to our lives so that we can suffer well too. And the first is this, number one, point number one, do not be surprised by suffering. You know, when suffering comes into our life, it, it ne- you know, we never expect it because we don't want it. But it comes into our life and we're always surprised by it. It knocks us around and we're like, what, what is happening? What's going on? Um, and that's just because, you know, we don't walk around expecting it. I didn't wake up this morning and while eating my breakfast think, Today's the day. The world's going to fall apart. I mean, we, we don't go around like that. So suffering does always, to some degree, catch us off guard. But I think suffering often surprises us because it reveals a hidden assumption that we have about God in our life. There's a hidden assumption that creeps into our theology very subtly, and sometimes we're believing it and we don't even realize we are. But it's that little assumption, that little belief that says, if I do my part, God will do his part. If I do X, Y, and Z, if I believe and do the, Christians th- do the Christian things, I give, I go to church, I disciple my children, I do all of these things, then God will keep hard stuff from me. That creeps into our life, and, that way, and, and when that happens and suffering enters our life, then we're surprised. We don't understand it. But friends, I, first, we, as we begin to talk about suffering, we have got to kill that thought, if that is our thought, because that is just a tame version of the prosperity gospel. The gospel that says God wants you to be just, that God just exists to make you healthy and wealthy and an easy life. That's simply not true. Friends, we must understand that following Jesus does not spare us from the trials and pains of this life. Peter, in verse 12, he says this. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter says suffering is normal. Peter, suffering is not abnormal. It's not a strange thing to happen to you as a Christian. He says, no, it should be expected. And that can make us feel uneasy because almost immediately our mind starts running and it starts going, but doesn't God love us? And maybe it even goes to the point where we say, if God loves us, then he wouldn't allow this. If God truly loved me, then he would take away this hurt. He would have prevented this tragedy. If God truly loved me, he would do this. He would have kept my marriage from falling apart. He would heal this sickness that I've been diagnosed with. He would cure my anxiety or my depression. But church, that is not the narrative we see in Scripture. When we dive into Scripture, we do not see a God that comes just to give us health and wealth and an easy life full of joy excuse me, full of happiness, worldly happiness. No, we see a God that sees man, sees us in our suffering. And he enters into our suffering. He, he comforts us in our hurt. He dwells with us in our pain. And he gives us hope. If you read your Bible and you look at all the characters, all the major characters through the Bible, you will see that there is not a character in the Bible that does not suffer. Even Jesus, the Son of God, was not exempt from suffering when he walked the earth. Still, suffering surprises us. It comes into our life, and 
it hits us and we begin to doubt God's attitude, we begin to wonder, does God still love me? Has his attitude changed? Has something fundamental changed about our relationship now that suffering is in my life? Friends, suffering does not mean that God's attitude toward you has changed. It does not mean that. Notice what Peter calls these Christians at the beginning of verse 12. He says, beloved. He says, get ready because suffering is covering, coming, beloved. He reminds them, you are loved by God. The presence of suffering does not mean that the presence of God has left you. And we see this in Scripture. I, I love the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. If you know the story of Joseph, you know that Joseph, he went through some very hard things, very hard things. But in the story of Joseph, you see that God's love for Joseph is the same as when he's second in command of Egypt as when he's in prison, committed, committed, uh, accused of a false crime. And you think about Peter who wrote this letter. Pete, the love for Peter is this, the God's love for Peter is the same when Jesus ate the Last Supper with Peter as when Peter was crucified upside down for preaching about Jesus. God's love didn't change. So here's the first point this morning that Peter wants us to grasp. is like, when suffering comes into your life, do not be surprised by it. Don't live in fear of it, but also don't be surprised of it. Instead, and this is our second thing that Peter wants to get, because Peter wants us to do something pretty radical. He wants us to lean into our suffering. When suffering comes into our life, we can react to it in a whole bunch of different ways. We can try to numb it. We can try to cover it with substances and pleasure and entertainment and just try to numb it and not feel it and ignore it. We can try to hide it because we don't want to be a burden to people. We can, we can, kind of, um, we, we can just kind of come to church, put on a good face, and you know, we don't want to be a burden to people at all. Uh, or we can try to hide it because we're ashamed of it. We think that there's some connection between, well, if, I, if I'm suffering, I must not be doing the Christian life right, so we're embarrassed, and so we hide it. We hide our suffering. But let me encourage you, uh, or let me shoot that down, because in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples are walking by a man who was born blind, and the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind, him or his parents? And Jesus says, that's not how it works. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. But we can try to numb our suffering. We can try to hide it. Or, you know, our good old southern grit, we may just try to push through it. Just kind of, kind of put it to the side and just put our head down and use our grit and push through it. Get over the bump in the road. But none of those reactions are what Peter wants us to do, church. He's, Peter wants us to lean into it. He says in verse 13, he says this. Peter writes, but rejoice. Do not be surprised at suffering, but rejoice. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And then skip to verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Peter says, rejoice as you suffer. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to numb it. Don't try to just push through it. Rejoice in your suffering. And remember that Peter has in mind per persecution here, but the, this carries over to our general suffering as well. Peter says that if you are insulted, if you are suffering, if something happens in your life, you are blessed. Why? That sounds so weird to us. Well, Peter tells us in verse 14 why. He says, you are blessed if you suffer because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
because the Spirit of God and of glory rests upon you. And it might be kind of confusing, that phrase, what Peter's talking about. To understand it, we need to understand something that Paul says about the Holy Spirit in the letter to Ephesians. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to sum it up for you. But in Ephesians, Paul says about the Holy Spirit, he tells us, he says, the Spirit is God's, he says, guarantee of our inheritance. Meaning, when God, when we are saved, when we place our faith in Jesus, God gives us his Spirit. And the Spirit is like a stamp that says, you are mine. And you have a heavenly inheritance. You will join me in the kingdom of heaven. It's a sign of the promise of God in our life. Now we go back to Peter. And Peter says to his audience that when they suffer, they are blessed because the Spirit of God rests upon them. See, Peter makes a connection between suffering and recognizing our blessed spiritual state. He's saying, come what may, you are secure in Christ. Suffering reminds us of our security in Christ. Suffering reminds us of the presence of the Spirit in our life. That's what suffering does, and that's why it's so hard. It comes into our life, and it just strips away everything. It strips away everything we trust in. It pulls us, like it literally pulls, like it just, it's like it opens our eyes, and it pulls everything that we've been doing in our life to the side so that all we can see is Jesus, and all we can see is that our only security really truly lies in Him, in Christ. Peter wants us to lean into our sufferings because when we don't numb it and we don't hide from it and we don't just push through it, when we lean into it, we find ourselves experiencing more of God than we ever have before. We find ourselves relying on God and his promises more than we ever have before. Suffering should drive you to God's spirit within you. Suffering is hard because suffering makes us lose something. Usually we're losing something and it hurts, but it gives us more of God. It reorients us. It, it grabs us from our life, our self-sufficient life, where we're not really, uh, you know, God's kind of, maybe we're not, you know, we're living in sin or we're, we're wondering and we're not really obeying God. Suffering comes into our life and it brings us back to God. The great preacher and theologian C.H. Spurgeon said this. He said, I kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages, against God. I welcome the thing that throws me against God, that makes me rely on him more, that gives me more of God. The anniversary of 9-11 was Friday. I saw a lot of people posting stories. I was very, um, I was very young. I was in first grade. That tells you how old I am. I was in first grade, so I honestly don't remember a lot about the actual day, but the thing that I, I hear again and again is that after that tragedy, our country, which is so divided right now, was very united. And I hear a lot of people kind of express a want for that again. Tragedy, pain, and suffering have an odd ability to unite people. And the same is true for you and God. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest Christian authors, he wrote this. He said, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain and suffering is like a megaphone that God uses to bring you back to him, to keep you from straying. And we may think, well, we don't need that, but church, we do need that because when things are going well in our life, it's so easy to treat God like he's some kind of advisor. Even though he's the creator of the universe, it's so, God to, it's so easy to treat God like he's some kind of advisor, like put him back here in this drum cage and we'll come over here and live our life. And if we need advice, we'll turn and we'll ask God and then we'll 
then he's silent the rest of the time. And that's what, who God becomes in our life when everything is going well. But when life starts falling apart, when your life starts falling apart before you, we are forced to go and get God and bring him here and bow before him and say, help me, I need you. And we realize our need for him again. Friends, Peter and I wants, Peter wants you and I to lean into our sufferings and he wants us to see suffering as a tool. This is point number three, the third thing that Peter wants for us. He says, Peter wants us to see suffering as a tool in the hands of a good and loving doctor. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter two, Jesus says to the crowds, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus basically says, I am the doctor for sinners. I am the physician that has come to heal sinners. And in verse 17 of our passage, Peter says, for it is time for, for it is, yes, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. It is time for judgment, Peter says. And judgment in this context in Peter's letter, he's not talking about the final judgment when the people of God will be gathered and brought into the kingdom of heaven and the people who are not the people of God will be cast away. No, he's talking about a judgment of cleansing, of purifying of the church. We must remember, friends, that Jesus comes to save us and sanctify us. He doesn't just come to save us and bring us into heaven. He comes to save us and make us holy, to purify us of sin and bring us into the kingdom of heaven. And to make us like himself, holy like he is, he uses every tool at his disposal. Like a doctor uses every resource he or she has to help someone, even if it hurts, God uses every tool he has to prepare us for the kingdom of heaven. He is the physician that turns us from sinners into saints. And suffering is one of his tools. And Peter is saying to his audience, he's saying, get ready, the judgment is coming. And now commentators think that there was probably some persecution that was spreading in other parts of the Roman Empire. And so Peter was writing to this church and telling them, look, get ready, it's coming. So there was an actual thing that he's thinking of. But in our case, um, in our case, we just have to recognize that when suffering comes into our life that it is a tool. Friends, let me ask you, are you hurting? At this point, I need to hit the pause button in this sermon because especially if you're new to Christianity and you're kind of wondering what to, uh, what to think about this idea of God using suffering. When we think about God in this way, uh, using suffering and persecution to grow us, God can almost seem kind of sadistic, like he enjoys our suffering in, this, in that. And you hear this and you might think that. Let me assure you that that is not true. C.S. Lewis wrote a little book. He wrote a little book called A Grief Observed. And uh, basically it's this little book. It's a fantastic little book, but it's basically a collection of journal entries that he wrote after his wife tragically died. And it's him reflecting as he's dealing with this grief and this immense pain. He's just dealing with this, this, and he's asking the question, is this necessary? Why do I have to go through this, God? And here's what he says in his book. First, he asks the question, he says, but is it credible that such extremities of torture should be necessary for us? When he says torture, he's talking about his suffering, his grief at the loss of his wife. But then Lewis continues, he says, the tortures, meaning the sufferings of this life, the tortures occur... If they are unnecessary, then there is no God or a bad one. 
If there is a good God, then these tortures are necessary. For no even moderately good being could possibly inflict or permit them if they weren't. Lewis, Lewis basically says that there are two options for Christians dealing with suffering. Number one, either your suffering is unnecessary, and in that case God is evil, or he's not, it's not, there's no God. The other option, which is the biblical one, is this. Your suffering is necessary, and God is good, and somehow, even though we don't understand it, and though suffering is hard, it is necessary for our spiritual growth because God is good. God is doing what he must to prepare you for the kingdom of heaven. And if this sounds, still sounds crazy to you, because I realize it might, let me take you to the cross, to the events of Jesus' crucifixion, the, the, the story that we all know as Christians. Jesus came to save sinners. He walked the earth. But then the same people he came to save killed him. Not just killed him, they mocked him, beat him, and killed him in the most humiliating and painful way possible on the cross. He suffered. Let me ask you, was it necessary? The answer is yes. Romans 3, 23 through 25 says, For all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. What that says is that was Christ's death necessary? Yes, there had to be a propitiation. There had to be a suffering for sin. Jesus had to suffer so that God's great plan of redemption could move forward and we could be saved. God used the suffering of his own son to make salvation available to us. And God will use the brokenness in your life to carry out his good will both in your life and the lives of others. Our God is a God of redemption who turns evil things for good. I go back to the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. If you don't know the story, Joseph was a man of faith. He was a man of God. He followed God. He believed in God. God gave him dreams and God was, and Joseph fully believed that God was gonna bless him. But then all of a sudden, Joseph found himself sold into slavery for, for a time. And then he was falsely accused of a crime and thrown in prison for years. And though, though we read the story and Joseph is faithful, you can imagine Joseph going, God, what are you doing? You gave me dreams and said, I'm gonna be doing these mighty things for you. I'm languishing in prison. What is going on? But if you know the story, you know that it was only through all of those events that put Joseph right in the perfect place to be made second command of Egypt and literally save the world from starvation. God redeemed the brokenness and carried out his goodwill. Friends, are you hurting? I know, I'm, I'm sure that all of us, when we walk in this door, we're all carrying burdens, large and small. Friends, are you broken? Are you suffering? Know that God and will redeem your situation. That is a promise of God from the Bible. A.W. Tozer, a great theologian, once said this. He said, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God will use your situation for the good of the kingdom of heaven. We sang a song when we began this service that said all things are possible. And that's so true. God is a God. Of, God can do miracles. God can do incredible things. God can heal. God can do all these things. But God can also redeem the brokenness in your life and bring good out of it. All things are possible with God. And this is where we're going to move into some practical application. Peter says in verse 19, he says, Therefore, 
Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So the first thing Peter tells us to do is he, he says, trust God. Okay, Sam, we're not in Sunday school. This is a sermon. Give us something more. <laughs> but this is the thing that Peter tells us to do. If you are suffering, trust God, for he is trustworthy. And I need to hit the pause button here. And we have to be absolutely clear on something, church, because if we have a bad theology of suffering, it is just going to cause more suffering in our life. We have got to be clear on this. When I, I have been telling you from, from, I've been telling you from Scripture that God uses and even allows the suffering in our lives in order to accomplish his goodwill. But let me be clear. God does not cause evil. God does not cause evil. Sin caused evil. Sin broke the world in Genesis 3. If you want to know where your suffering comes from, where this tragedy in your life, where this hurt in your life comes from, look no, look to the fall in Genesis 3 where man rebelled against God and sin entered the world. Man was tempted by Satan and sin entered. And then from that point on, the world was broken and there was evil. God did not cause evil in your life. God did not cause your child to die. God did not send someone to abuse you. God did not send bullies to bully you at school. God did not give you cancer, and I could keep going. The point is, God is sovereign over all, yes, but sin is the cause of evil in your life. We must understand that God is not our enemy, church. Sin and its architect, Satan, are the enemy, and the sad thing is that in our sin, when suffering comes into our life, our sinful heart is so tempted to believe the lies of the evil one that say, look, God doesn't love you, when he's the one that caused it. We must understand that God is not our enemy. We, we, we're so tempted to blame God when God is the one who actually sees our mistake, our rebellion against God, and he steps into the picture to fix it and redeem it and give us hope in our suffering. We're so quick to blame him when we should be praising him for saving us and giving us hope in suffering. If you're a Marvel fan, you got the youth pastor, so you're getting a Marvel reference. If you're a Marvel fan, you had no doubt have watched Avengers Endgame, came out recently. If you're not familiar with the movie, basically, there's the big bad guy, Thanos. He's trying to collect the six infinity stones because he's going to use all six of them, and he does, to kill off half of all life. Very evil, very dark thing. But in the movie, Iron Man, in a famous scene, takes the stones from Thanos and he uses them to restore all the life, to undo what Thanos did and defeat Thanos. He takes what was meant for evil and uses it for good. And in a very similar way, God takes what is evil and broken in your life and in, your, and in the world, and he redeems it. He uses it for good. He uses it. He uses suffering to teach us, to grow us, to lead us to minister to others, to prepare us for the kingdom of heaven. So trust God with your suffering. When suffering comes into your life, you're either going to run to God or from him. Run to him. Not away. Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, you who are carrying a burden and hurt, and I will give you rest. Do not run from him, run to him. 
And a great challenge in suffering is that God is seemingly silent. If you've suffered, you know this. He is not silent, though. God is calling out to you through his word. He is inviting you to find rest in his word. And so let me ask you, are you storing up scripture in your heart? Are you storing up this story of redemption, of God conquering evil in the world in your heart? Some of you may be in here and you're like, Sam, this is a great sermon, but um, hopefully. Sam, Sam, this is a great sermon, but um, I'm, honestly, we're not suffering. We're, we're good. Things are good. Well, are you preparing? Because as Peter says, expect it. Are you preparing, storing up God's word in your heart, memorizing it, learning it, knowing God, and knowing his promises and his truth so that when the day comes, you are ready? Are you working out your spiritual muscles? by storing up God's word in your heart. Application point number one, trust God. Number two, these next two are shorter. Care for one another. Suffering makes us want to hide, and I think it's just part of our, I don't know, southern manners, I guess. People ask, you know, because you get asked how you are all the time, and what do you say? Good, I'm good. And it's very easy for that to bleed into the church to where we all come in and we, we just put the face on, and I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, when really underneath you are hurting and you're doubting, and you're, 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 you're struggling. Friends, this church is the family of God. We do not hide from one another in this place. We care for one another. The culture of this church is one where we care for one another in suffering. Matt Chandler, one of the pastors at the Village Church in Dallas, he wrote a book called Joy and the Sorrow. I'd recommend it to you. Um, but he talks about how his church sought to create a culture in which they could suffer well together. And this is what he said in that book. This is a quote from him. He said, people described us as a successful church because it was a church of thousands. It was very, and it is a successful church. But people described us as a successful church, but not many realized we were also a joyfully suffering church in that really those two things are the same. A church that is healthy is a church that suffers well together. And a healthy church member is one that cares for others and is, uh, lets himself be cared for. So friends, if you are not plugged in here at Fellowship, if you, if you stay on the outskirts for months or years, if you're not a member, if you're not in a small group, if, you're, if you are not connected here, connect. You need Christians to surround you when the time of suffering comes, to tell you truth when you don't want to hear it, to love you and encourage you and carry you through hard times in life. And again, some of you may be thinking, well, yeah, we'll do that when, if, 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 if life gets hard. We'll come and we'll plug in. But let me ask you a question. Do football players wait until the game to start training? No. Don't wait until your life is falling apart to get plugged into a Christian community that can surround you with the love and strength you need when suffering comes. Prepare now. Even if you're not hurting now, this is another thing. Some of you may just be like, well, I don't need to plug in yet. I'm not really suffering. Someone in this church is, and they need you. Someone in this church is, and they need you. Who can you think of, members, and if you're not members, who can you think of in this church that is hurting? How can you help them? Who can you bring food to? Who can you speak God's truth to, his goodness to? Suffering is hard. We need to be there for one another. And the last thing that uh, Peter says, verse 19, he says, um, and trust yourselves to God while doing good. And so do good is the third point. And basically all Peter is saying here, he's not saying go do good acts so that you don't suffer. He's saying keep living the Christian life. When suffering comes into your life, don't step out of church and step out of your small group and step out of all the rhythms of your Christian life because you need those more than ever in that moment. 
Stay in the Christian community. To wrap up, I want to share a picture with you. This is the last thought this morning. Um, should be on the screen. I took this picture. We got it. There it is. I took this picture on a recent date that Julie and I went on. We were hiking, exploring this creek bed. Beautiful spot up near Heber, Heber Springs. And as I stopped to take this picture, I had one of those moments where God just spoke. And I really needed to hear what God said because Julie and I, we were, we were grieving that day. Many of you know we're very open about this. Julie and I have been trying to adopt for two years now. And we've come close to finalizing an adoption too many times. We've had so many what we thought were for sure adoptions that fell through, that have fallen through. And we were fresh off of one of those when we were hiking up this creek. And so we were grieving, we were praying, asking God for peace and understanding to help us in our sadness. And as we hiked up this creek, I stopped, I took this picture, I stopped and I just noticed something. I noticed that I was surrounded by a world that I am not in control of. I was surrounded by wildlife that I did not design or create. Wildlife that is surviving, though I'm not feeding it, not taking care of it. I'm surrounded by plants that are dying, dead, or growing. I'm not sustaining them. I'm not determining the length of their life. I'm not governing this forest. I was standing in a creek that I did not plot the course of among big rocks that I did not place. And it was like God in that moment said, Sam, you are not the center of the universe. I know that you cannot see what is going on with your adoption journey, but I can. I'm the author of everything. Friends, we must remember that there is a story unfolding around us that is so great and beautiful. And we know some parts of the story as Christians. We know the climax of the story when Jesus came and died and rose again and forgave our sins. We know that. And we also know the end of the story. We know where, that Jesus will come again and he will fully restore his creation and that will be a beautiful day. But what we don't know is the part in between, the part we're living in here. And that can seem scary, like we don't know what's coming but what we know is the one who is writing the story, the author, is the King Jesus on his throne, who is good, who has saved us from our sin, who is with us in our suffering. He is writing the story, and he's calling us to live for him and trust him, no matter what each page brings. So let us go forward from this place, trusting him in times of suffering. Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we acknowledge that, Lord, that when it comes to suffering, we're not always the best at trusting you. We're quick to doubt. We're quick to wonder. We're quick to stray. We're quick to put our trust in other things. Father, forgive us. For you have been so good to us. Lord, help us in our times of suffering to remember your promises, to remember what you've done at other times in our life, to remember the good things that you have done in history and in our life and in the lives of others. Father, help us to see you in our sufferings. Lord, I pray that if anyone in this room today and anyone watching out there is going through a hard time right now, I pray for peace. I pray for understanding. I pray, Lord, that they would trust that you are working a story so grand and so beautiful that we, we can't understand it. Sometimes we don't know where we fit into this story. But God, you are writing a story where you are bringing all things to a glorious conclusion when you redeem this creation. Father, help us as we suffer to walk in faithfulness to you. 
And Father, for those who, those of us who are, who, for who life is good right now, praise God, that's a blessing. Thank you for that. I pray for those of us who are not suffering, that we would be very intentional in looking for those who are and finding ways to reach out to them, to encourage them, to help them, to tell them the truth again and again. Father, we pray that we would be a church that suffers together well. In your name we pray.